0: Before this chapter begins, I have a couple things to say, not even, or before this episode begins, I have a few things to say, not even just one thing, but two things to say. Uh, first of all, as I assume some of my listeners may have expected, I have gotten my second dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, I got Pfizer, of course, because I'm not 18, I'm 16, so obviously I can't really get Moderna, and I definitely cannot get Johnson & Johnson, um... But yeah, so I am technically, in 12 days, I'll be truly fully vaccinated, because, well, actually, it'll be 13 days, 12 and a half days, because I got my vaccine, my dose, early in the morning yesterday, my second dose, and uh, it takes about two weeks from what I've heard to be fully kicked in, I guess, apparently, um, but yeah, so I've gotten my I'm fully vaccinated. I'm actually the first person in my family to be fully vaccinated because my parents got Moderna and they got it in the same day as I did. And Pfizer has a three week waiting period between the first and second shots, and Moderna has a four week waiting period. Now, I have felt a fair amount of symptoms. It is generally believed that people who are younger, people who've had COVID, who've had symptomatic COVID before, are more likely to experience side effects and also more likely to experience worsened side effects. Um, I have not been hit that bad by it, but uh, I did wake up this morning with a really bad headache. Um, I've had a headache all day. It's, I, I felt really weird, really drowsy, really tired, really fatigued all day. Um, I, felt, I woke up very nauseous. Um, I also didn't get that much sleep, even though I was extremely tired. I didn't get much sleep, and then the and then yesterday I had a sore throat. Um, Of course, pain in the injection site. I still have pain in the injection site, but it's nothing compared to yesterday. Uh, If if you guys, I'm sure that many of you guys know this, uh, who have gotten the COVID nineteen vaccine. But if you get it, you will your your injection site pain will not feel good. It'll hurt. It feels like the day after you take a like you do some workouts for the first time in like six months. It really feels like that. Like, you cannot lift your arm, really. Like, I could not lift my arm last night uh, very well. But all worth it. It's all worth it because now I'm fully vaccinated, technically. And, yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing to be a part of such an incredible mega project. Um, But, yeah, so, again, if I have anything to say, get vaccinated because science tells us uh, every single thing, every single Fact in human history has told us that vaccines work polio, smallpox, uh, potentially COVID-19, the flu. I mean, we, we know from prior experience that vaccines work very well. And this is a very effective vaccine compared to most other vaccines. The flu vaccine is 50% effective. And this uh, Pfizer is 95 and the Moderna is 94. Even against the variants, they're relatively effective. So I mean it just it just tells us something. If you wa- if if you really want to get out of this, if you really want to help us get out of this, not not have to wear masks anymore, not have to socially distance uh, social distance anymore, not have to lock down anymore, then get vaccinated because again, the only way we can get out of this is by achieving herd immunity. <laughs> That's the only way we will fully get out of this. I mean, we can just let everything go and then let enough people die from it, but that's not really the greatest idea because we don't want more people to die from this than died in the Civil War. That would not be good. Uh, But anyways, uh, the next thing, the next thing, uh, anyway, the next thing is uh, it is important to be aware of the fact that I've been using the word purport a significant number of times in these past episodes, Uh, often, often, to specifically correspond with like proposed uh, even, like, hypothesized. <laughs> I, I I like to say it is synonymous with proposed or theorized, but it's not. It's actually not even close to synonymous with proposed or uh, theorized and is actually the opposite of scientific proposal, for it essentially means to claim to do something, but generally falsely, uh, essentially a purposely false claim. But understand that I do like to create definitions for words that I know, and purported was certainly one of those words, but... Let's be honest, I like to create a lot of words. Uh, If you guys, I have a notebook with just a bunch of writing in it because I like to write poems, I like to write sonnets, and I like to write just random short writing while, like, in in lunch or not when not listening in class. And in those situations, I generally just kind of make up words. Like, I made up a word on uh, Friday, it meant it was literally Fleeper. I was doing it because I wanted to. I wanted a good rhyme word for my final couplet in a sonnet I was writing, and I was like, yeah, Fleeper. It's a good sound. It's a good sound. So it it sounds good, and it means an interesting thing, and it corresponds with what I want it to mean, so perfect. But anyways, welcome to Thermodynamics, because that's what the episode is on. Um, One thing many of you likely do not know about me is that I am an avid and dedicated biker. Near my house, there are multiple trails that are over 20 miles long, both of which I bike on. Uh, every day in the summer I take out my trek my blue trek Marlin 5 if you live where I live you probably know what that is and you probably have seen me riding it and I take a ride around my city this ride is generally only 10 miles long but it occurs daily and requires a significant amount of energy to maintain last summer I rode my first 100 mile bike ride not quite 100 it was more like 70 70 to 100 I actually don't have an actual like legitimate bike indication of it. I've ridden 100 miles in a day many times before, but I like to consider that the first true all the way through 100 mile bike ride. Um, But Anyways, I began riding at 10 AM and did not arrive home until 8 PM, 10 hours later. In the morning before I went riding, I ate quite a significant breakfast. I had a pesto, uh, a pesto egg and cheese breakfast sandwich, a bowl of Cheerios and almond milk, two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and a 48 ounce strawberry banana smoothie. Uh, I made it myself. This food propelled me through my day, thankfully, for I rode all the way out to Lake Michigan, specifically at a point two counties to my town's north. When I decided to turn around, I immediately went to the local gas station and bought a naked Berry Blast smoothie so that I could obtain some immediate energy, because it is filled with sugar, and I rode my bike to the end of the trail, which led me to a city around 10 miles from my house. Here, I went to a grocery store plus restaurant and bought a tomato, mozzarella, and basil sandwich, which was so freaking good. Um, along with another naked drink. Uh, this food propelled me for the last 10 miles of my journey and subsequent stargazing I would do that night. I got a lot more food when I got home, though. A lot more, because I was very tired. Uh, anyways, the longest bike ride I ever have, uh, I have ever partaken in represent, representing critical phenomena in thermodynamics. Uh, the first law of thermodynamics and the laws of conservation of matter and energy. Because we're going to talk about stuff like that. In this chapter, thermodynamics, a law whose mechanics are the basis for physics and all science, will be discussed and understood. So this is a little bit different than other episodes that I have conducted because we are not going to be talking about something that is extremely advanced in physics. We are going to be talking about a more basic thing in physics, which is why this episode didn't take 10 hours to make, but rather like 3, because it was very easy to understand. Because all it is, is basic physics, and physics is relatively easy when it isn't quantum mechanics. I mean, that's just, because, that's just because you don't have enough background knowledge. It's so technical. Qua- like, once you get into the more specific fields, it's just so technical. But anyways, now that I have enumerated my various bike trips and all of the unusual foods I eat, yes, I eat very weird foods, uh, it is now important that we understand the history of thermodynamics. Unfortunately, unlike many of the quantum mechanical topics we have covered in previous chapters, thermodynamics history will not hold such a recent and modern history. I like to say unfortunately because we have very rich histories with like entanglement, like spooky action at a distance. That's a very, very, very popular quote. I actually included it in the chapter, in the title of the episode. Uh, To discuss the beginnings of thermodynamics, we travel to 1650. In this year, the physicist and politician, apparently, Otto von Guericke, I believe it is designed the first vacuum using Magdeburg hemispheres, uh, which are two hemispheres made from copper which mate with one another through mating rings that exist along the edges of the hemispheres. Not a I, have a... I have a link down in the description that discusses stuff like that, because that's... they don't... sounds like a very weird object. After hearing of gericke's success with the vacuum, Robert Boyle and Robert Hooke whom some may remember as the first man to observe the microbiome, created the first air pump. Uh, Through this air pump, they notice a peculiar consistency between pressure, temperature, and volume. This led to the development of Boyle's Law, which states that pressure and volume are inversely proportional to one another. We learn, at this point, that pressure increases heat in a volume. The subjects of latent heat and heat capacity, both of which are fundamental phenomena, in thermodynamics were developed by Professor Joseph Black at the University of Glasgow in the early 19th century. At this point, Black developed the concept of latent heat, energy absorbed or released by a thermodynamic system during a constant temperature process and heat capacity, the amount of heat applied to an object that is required for there to be a unit change in its temperature, of course in, I think it's either in Kelvin or in Celsius, I'm pretty sure it's in Kelvin though, Uh, but there's, we, we know that The calorie is defined as the amount of uh, the energy required to heat, the energy required from an object to heat uh, water one degree, I think it is. One degree is, it might be, it's either centigrade or Kelvin. But anyways, uh, subsequently in 1824, the father of thermodynamics, Sadie Carnot, applied all prior knowledge on the topic to publish Reflections on the Motive Power of Fire which argued about heat power energy and energy or an engine efficiency again a lot of the development of thermodynamics specifically in terms of heat derived from the development of and the improvement to the steam engine this particular book established the principles uh, of thermodynamics and as core concepts in science uh, the laws of thermodynamics, which I'm sure anyone with merely a middle school science education even knows of, doesn't know exactly what they are, but knows that they exist, emerged in the 1850s through the physicist William Rankin, I believe it is, Rudolf Clausius, and William Thompson, who is also known as Lord Kelvin, apparently, uh, who, between the three of them, formulated the three laws of thermodynamics. The three main laws, and then also... Don't, don't forget about the last law. Don't forget about the zeroth law. That's important. Uh, but anyways, as was said earlier, unlike many concepts in physics, thermodynamics holds a rich and multi-culture, multi-century and technically cultural history that encompasses a significant amount of concepts in physics, uh, including the development of the steam engine during the Industrial Revolution. And that's obviously important. <laughs> If one were to venture onto YouTube and were to search up physics professors risking their lives, one would likely and undoubtedly find a video of the former M- MIT professor Walter Lewin or Lewin, uh, letting go of a bowling ball where he keeps his eyes closed. Uh, many observing this physicist are baffled when they see that the bowling ball that he released and had to go on the other side of the, um, the auditorium and come back to- towards him did not hit him. It came exceptionally close to his head but did not quite get there. How does that happen? Uh, When one bounces a basketball upon the ground, they are exerting force energy upon that basketball that allows it to bounce back up to one's hands. Now, if one exerts no force upon that basketball and simply allows it to bounce, it shall not bounce back up to one's hands, but rather will bounce to a lower height and will continue to bounce until it has no energy to do so anymore. Why is that the case? Uh, Two intriguing, well-known examples of thermodynamics exist right before us thermodynamics deals specifically with the relationship between heat and the other forms of energy the answer to the questions we asked when presented with a crazy physicist and the bouncing basketball lie within lay within the laws of thermodynamics and the laws of conservation of energy and momentum when a ball bounces on the ground its elastic potential energy is conferred into elastic potential uh, kinetic energy, but as the ball hits the ground, which is a frictional surface, some of that elect- elastic energy is converted into heat, thus the ball does not bounce back as high as the point from which it was released. If one were to do this in Earth's atmosphere, one must understand that friction and heat is not the only reason for which the ball does not bounce all the way back. Uh, there also exists air resistance, of course, uh, of course, and even in a vacuum, there can be physical distortions inside a ball. It, I mean, we know that. Like, what What happens to a bouncy ball as it hits the ground? We know that it kind of Concaves. Uh, We know what happens. We we know pretty well what happens. Um, But either way, anyways, if one were to bounce the same ball upon the surface upon the same surface, once in a vacuum and once in Earth Earth's atmosphere, both times they would not bounce back as high as they are released. Uh, What technical definition can one give to thermodynamics? The Oxford Dictionary defines thermodynamics as the branch of physical science that deals with the relations between heat and other forms of energy, such as mechanical, electrical, or chemical, or etc. energy, and by extension of the relationships between all forms of energy, end quote, I never said uh, begin quote, but you know what I mean. Uh, This definition communicates that thermodynamics deals with the relationship between heat and other forms of energy, but more specifically through the four laws of thermodynamics, the first law, the second law, the third law, and the zeroth law, which we're going to discuss the zeroth law first. So it's like zero, one, two, three, almost. Uh, Thermodynamics has been applied to many scientific fields, including fields that work with the laws that govern life and the universe, uh, some thermodynamics of uh, thermodynamic applications include biological thermodynamics, which we've probably I'm sure many of you guys have heard of before, atmospheric thermodynamics. Uh, I've done a lot of studying on it for because of astronomy. Um, black hole thermo, thermodynamics, cosmological thermodynamics dynamics. I can't really say thermodynamics. It's really hard to say. classical thermodynamics. Industrial Ecology, Psychometrics, Quantum Thermodynamics, Statistical Thermodynamics, uh, and weirdest of all, Thermoeconomics. Uh, it's basically models economic theory as a thermodynamic theory. Um, yeah, I kid you not, that is actually what they're doing. As was just explained, there exist four laws of thermodynamics. These are the first law, the second law, the third law, and the zeroth law. Each of these laws is an integral component of all systems in the universe, and all of these laws govern new physics and discovered systems. We will begin with the zeroth law and will subsequently travel into the first, second, and third laws of thermodynamics. The zeroth law of thermodynamics states that if two systems are in or thermal, sense where I'm going with this, equilibrium, or the property of two systems when there is no net flow of heat, between them, when they are connected by a path that is permeable or allowing something to travel through uh, to heat with another thermo- thermodynamic system, then these two systems that are in thermodynamic e- equilibrium or thermal equilibrium, with a third thermodynamic system I-, I have to like slow down just to say thermodynamic, it's so difficult to say, uh, are in thermal equilibrium with one another, again meaning that there is no net movement of thermal energy between the systems. The zeroth law holds significance in many practical applications including being an integral integral dynamic of the thermometer. If a thermometer is not in thermal equilibrium, thermal equilibrium, not thermodynamic equilibrium, but thermal equilibrium with the temperature of a room, net heat transfer ter- net heat transfer will occur between the mercury mercury, I get it, thermodynamics or thermal I get it. Thermometers are not made, of, made out of mercury anymore, um, and the room, and once the thermo- thermometer reads the same value as the temperature of the room, it will be in thermal equilibrium with the room. I really cannot speak right now. The same thing happens with meat thermometers, and quite literally every other thermometer, because that's how they work, and that's how physics works. Uh, if a chicken breast is seventy-five degrees Celsius, only when the temperature or the thermometer reads seventy-five degrees Celsius will it be in thermal equilibrium with the chicken, no net movement of heat. All three of the thermodynamic laws that are to be discussed following this are in the realms of closed systems. Uh, we need to understand that closed system systems are important. Um, just, I mean, the many of the laws, many of the laws that govern the world, the universe are in. Are do involve closed systems. Uh, specifically, I, I'm not completely, I'm not going to necessarily say that every single law of thermodynamics deals specifically with all uh, closed systems, but I'll tell you this, the second law of thermodynamics is entirely based upon closed systems. Uh, but anyways, a closed system is a physical system in which no matter transfer occurs. A closed system is a it uh, is never experiences any change in mass, for there exists a boundary between it and the outside world that is impermeable to all mass changes. Uh, impermeable means stuff cannot percolate through it. Perm, cannot, it's not permeable to mass, essentially. Uh, there are two types of boundaries of a closed system, both of which determine whether a system can exchange heat or work. The first is the adiabatic. I think it's adiabatic. Um, boundary creating a thermally isolated system uh, which is impermeable to heat but permeable to work and the second is the rigid boundary uh, creating a mechanically isolated system which is impermeable to work but permeable to heat. So the first of the three laws we're going to discuss today the first of the three laws that's not the zeroth law that we're going to discuss today is the first law of thermodynamics because of course why would not? Why would it not be that? Um, The first law of thermodynamics is a law of thermodynamics that establishes the law of conservation of energy in the realms of thermodynamic systems. The first law states that a closed thermodynamic system still exists within the realms of the law of conservation of energy, meaning that it never loses energy, but rather that its heat, its energy, transfers from form to form. In the law of conservation of energy, energy can neither be created nor destroyed, and the first law of thermodynamics incorporates heat into these laws of conservation. Because heat is an energy, it is subject to the law of conservation of energy, but it too can be transformed and transferred. I mean, somewhat, kind of. Again, think, it's heat, waste heat, waste heat. So technically some of it's inconvertible, but it still exists, it's not just damage. But again, think back to, uh, to the baseball, or basketball, on the concrete. Some of the elastic energy of the ball is transformed into heat and transferred to the ground. Thus, the ball itself loses some of its kinetic energy, meaning that it will not be able to bounce to the point from which it was dropped. dropped. Uh, the first law is essentially a restatement of the law of conservation of energy through thermal energy. The second law of thermodynamics is a law of thermodynamics that states that the Entropy of a closed system cannot decrease, and thus increases to the point of maximum entropy, known as thermodynamic equilibrium. Not thermal equilibrium, but thermodynamic equilibrium. Entropy is a physical property of matter that represents the quantity of thermal energy in a system that is unable to be converted into mechanical energy, which is generally measured as a degree of disorder or randomness. So higher entropy equals more disorder, or higher amounts. Of thermal energy in a system that is unable to be converted into mechanical energy equals more disorder in a uh, particular closed system or system in general. In a typical thermodynamic system uh, with high entropy, work is not able to occur, uh, for the system is more disordered. Uh, the second law initiates entropy as a physical property of all thermodynamic systems and establishes that all closed systems, like the universe, left to spontaneous evolution, basically just keep going, do work, to let time go ahead, essentially, will gradually increase entropy and become more disordered. While well, the first law of thermodynamics represents the thermodynamic systems in the terms of the law of conservation of energy, the second law deals specifically with the direction or evolution of such systems. So imagine an initially closed system that exists in a thermodynamic equilibrium, or has maximum entropy, essentially. If a permeable boundary that allows for conduction or radiation exists, the object with maximum entropy will transfer its thermal energy to the system beyond that boundary, for all systems are essentially traveling on this death hike towards maximum entropy. This law can be observed in the fact that heat always transfers from a hotter object to a colder object. Um, This is how humans heat everything, first of all. Uh, This is how fire heats meat, and this is how water is warmed when upon a burning stove, and I like to say, this is how our body temperatures decrease when we remain outside during the winter because our heat transfers to our heat transfers to the uh, outside that is much cooler than our body temperatures. That's essentially, and then essentially your body's not able to keep up with it because it's so cold out uh, during the summer. It's not that profound because obviously our bodies can keep up with 80-degree weather. Uh, 80 degrees is kind of our like sweet spot, but yeah. The third law of thermodynamics is a law of thermodynamics that establishes a constant for the entropy of a system when at absolute zero. We know what absolute zero is, but let's just get a refresher. Absolute zero is defined as the point at which the atoms in a system are literally unmoving. The exact stated third law is that the entropy of a system approaches a constant value as its temperature approaches absolute zero. This constant value at absolute zero is the state of a system with the minimum possible amount of energy, also known as the ground state. In the case of absolute zero, the entropy of a system is typically zero for heat or thermal energy in terms of physics, does not exist at absolute zero. However, if a system does not have a well-defined order, there will exist what is known as residual empathy or entropy, not residual residual entropy, not empathy which means that even at absolute zero, the entropy of such a system will not be at zero. In most cases, though, this is not the case. Uh, There may not necessarily exist an obvious and simple example of a third law, which would probably explain why it rarely uh, appears in any non-physical science textbooks, even when the first and second laws do, but the greatest example, of course, involves absolute zero. Imagine an object at exactly absolute zero, or zero kelvin, and at zero entropy that is hit with a photon. A single atom in this object absorbs the photon, naturally causing it to become excited. This excited atom, because it is moving and increasing entropy, both slightly increases the temperature of this system and slightly increases the entropy of the system. While humans have yet to bring an object to absolute zero, and almost undoubtedly never will, This concept is still unequivocally true, and this example is a testament to the efficacy of these thermodynamic laws. These four laws of thermodynamics govern almost every aspect of everything in the universe, including the small things in our lives that we take advantage of, so like uh, thermometers, not thermodynamics, uh, basketball, conduction, convection, radiation, along with the combustion of fossil fuels even, Uh, the warming of s'mores over the fire, and the throwing of a baseball against a brick wall, all deals within the realms of these four laws of thermodynamics. As I'm sure some of you listening, uh, I- I'm sure some of you listening feel somewhat confused as to why this is such a short episode. And yes, indeed, is a very short episode. Indeed, it is a very short episode. This normally we run about thirty to thirty-six minutes, but this one's only going to be about twenty-eight. Uh, I I must say that I decided to leave this episode and the subsequent episode relatively short, for I'm AP testing in less than two weeks. Now it's going to be four days from now. Uh, And I'm biking, for it is finally adequately warm to do so. It is 86 right now. In Wisconsin, it is 86. Longer chapters will likely resume in June after I'm done with AP tests and my various trips to friends' cottages in the middle of nowhere are done as well. Um, chapters will likely be shorter in July as well For I will be traveling out to Baltimore by myself On the plane, on a plane for the first time by myself too To meet up with my cousin and tour Johns Hopkins, um, Maryland, D.C. Uh, Johns Hopkins and Maryland, uh, both colleges uh, And then also D.C., uh, which is obviously not a college But the capital of the United States uh, And also to camp in West Virginia And visit the Green Bank Observatory And of course, if you're going to observatory And if you're going to middle of Nowhereville, you are gonna be stargazing, and yeah, I'm gonna be stargazing, I'm gonna be camping in a tent for seven nights straight, it's gonna be something crazy, it is gonna be different, it'll be very different, um, I am fully vaccinated, by the time the episode version of this text is released on all platforms, which I, I'm, I'm actually making it as I'm already fully vaccinated. Um, I will be technically fully vaccinated, and when this actually comes out, I will truly be fully vaccinated because it'll have been two weeks since I got my second dose. Um, and because the CDC allows low-risk travel for fully vaccinated individuals, I will be able to travel at low risk as long as I remain masked and distanced, which I will because I'm responsible. I'm not a, I'm not an idiot. I'm a responsible individual. Um, anyway, I apologize for the relative shortness of this episode and uh, sh- assure you that uh, typical... Ac- episodes shall once again resume in later May and early June. Uh, The laws of thermodynamics govern a significant portion of what occurs in our lives. The basketballs we bounce, the baseballs we throw, the thermometers we check, these furnaces we set, the temperature of our, of our bodies in extremely hot and extremely cold weather, the efficiency of our cars, the heat radiating from a slow phone, the stoves heating up water, etc. All exist within the laws of thermodynamics. We may realize it not, but science is detectable in almost every aspect of our lives. Uh, the emotions we experience, the pleasures we crave, the desire we feel, all derive from biological mechanisms we know to exist. Our computers and our screens, which we cling to with indefatigable persistence, all deal within the realms and laws of physics and quantum mechanics. Uh, Computers would have never existed without quantum theory, don't forget about that. Our homes are heated and cooled through thermodynamic equilibrium and thermodynamic diffusion. And even the roads we drive on, the immense city buildings we gaze at, the homes we live in, the bridges we walk across, all exist because our species relentless pursuit of knowledge and because of reasons triumph over conspiracy and emotion anyway thank you all for listening and as always have a good morning afternoon evening and night if you wish to support the podcast please click the link in the podcast description and donate however much you wish as i say every episode i have 12 years of college ahead of me meaning that i will need a lot of money to pay for it but anyways nevertheless take care and stay curious my friends